Fans of the Dynasty Invest podcast, if you feel like there was one particular episode in the back catalogue in the anthology of Dynasty Invest podcast episodes that really, really, really was massively valuable to you, feel free to share that with a fellow dental colleague who's in a similar position so their understanding of finance can be elevated and they can hit the next level of financial success in their life. Also, as well as that, if you could take two seconds to rate and review this podcast, it would mean the world to me. What that would mean is that it drives this podcast further in terms of reach so that more dentists across the world can be able to benefit from the knowledge contained therein. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the Dentists Who Invest podcast. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Dentists Who Invest podcast. This is episode 102, would you believe? I am joined today by my good friend, Dr. Vez. Eagle-eared listeners of the Dentists Who Invest podcast will know that the last time Dr. Vez appeared was way back when on episode number four, and I'm looking forward to welcoming you back today. How are you, Vez? I'm good, thank you. And you? I'm 10 out of 10, mate. And what we're going to talk about today is a little bit of an interesting one. It's a philosophical one slightly more ethereal than your technical finance typical podcast that we have on the dentist invest show uh, yeah it's uh, i think it's an important uh, topic especially now uh, nowadays with all kind of the information that we all get um you know how uh, there's a lot of talk recently about uh, body positivity and uh, kind of like people's shapes and sizes. And uh, I feel that we've got kind of the same thing going on with money. Um, the first time I got interested in that, I was reading a book by um, Kahneman and Tversky, behavioral economists. Um, okay. So they, they did some research and apparently they find, found out that um, – um, money and life satisfaction are related, which, of course, we can kind of intuitively get to that conclusion. We've all heard, like, you know, uh, uh, money doesn't make you happy, but it's more comfortable to cry in a nice house than out there in the rain. Uh, and uh, how the best things in life are free, the second best ones are extremely expensive. There are all these kind of quotes going around. So intuitively, we know about that. But uh, what they found out is that, uh, for example, if someone has very high salary expectations and if these expectations are not met, they may um, sustain uh, permanently reduced uh, life satisfaction. And uh, I, I think that it's, uh, it's a bit of a problem because uh, obviously on this occasion it would be just the unmet expectations that are causing the problem. Then on the other hand, we've got nowadays all that kind of flow of information from social media, news, you get like notifications on your phone. So on my phone, I get like base rate increase, you know, this stock went up, the other one went down and so on. But I do get a lot of like entrepreneurial uh, news on my feed, like uh, this person, this startup made 50 million, the other made 20 million, the other made 10 million, and I'm kind of bombarded with that all the time. And I'm afraid that sometimes people may think that someone may think that they're a failure if they get that kind of feed because they would be thinking, okay, look, now everyone's making millions and I'm just sat there, in our case, drilling teeth and kind of going nowhere. But I absolutely disagree and I think that's not the case. It's just that um, we get a certain kind of uh, filtered information. So... Uh, I'm not uh, getting a lot of information about uh, the people that did start up and failed, for example. So as we know from statistics, these far outweigh the ones that 
made it big. So just because someone has not made 10 million, that doesn't necessarily make them a failure and they shouldn't feel miserable about it. So uh, that's, I think that's why we're doing that podcast, right? 100%. That's the point. Well, that's the illusion that's out there. And I'm going to say that social media probably has a role to play in that. And here's the thing as human beings, it's so easy for us to focus on a very narrow perspective of what's right in front of us without seeing the bigger picture. And the problem is, is that narrow perspective skewed in one particular way? And in likelihood, it probably is. There's only so much information that we can filter. And the thing about it is, the whole reason why we're exposed to that information over and above, over and above how it actually it, you know, it, it, it's, it's overrepresented within our field of viewpoint in, in our field of view. And the reason why that is, is because it's interesting to read about rather than the mundane day to day stuff, i.e. what the av- people who are earning an average wage, people who are earning an average life or have an average life and whatever, and whatever your proclivities are, whatever that you want out there that you want to achieve. It's just important to remember that likely the media that you're being exposed to exposed to is skewed heavily towards you being you learning and reading about people who are much 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 richer or wealthier than the average individual and it's easy to get a misrepresentation that everybody is doing well and much better than us so i think that uh, perhaps uh, the best way to kind of go about it would be to see what uh, what happens when we kind of look at some kind of factual research so yeah unfortunately we'll have to meet the two uh, social science heavyweights uh, psychology and economics uh, the thought of that gives me a headache but we have to do it um, I think that first, because we'll be talking about psychology a bit, it's important to um, define reality as a start, uh, just to kind of set the scene. Yeah. Uh, so according to social science, the definition of reality is that reality is a dynamic process which is created by an individual's interaction with the environment. And by environment, uh, obviously, we look into that at the broadest in the broadest possible sense, um, you know, communication with people and uh, the actual environment where it's raining or not everything. Uh, so it follows that uh, there are, uh, we are indeed living in the multiverse and there are uh, billions of realities out there and that's okay. Each person has their own reality and that's absolutely fine. There doesn't have to be any kind of clash between them or anything. People just have different experiences and uh, see the world differently and that's absolutely fine we also talk about um, i suppose population level uh, kind of uh, information to see how kind of it affects how money affects people in richer countries poorer countries things like that um and um i think that uh, the kind of uh, going back to what I said about that research where uh, people's expectations kind of determine their overall uh, life satisfaction it's um, kind of that kind of goes together with the reality because uh, like we've talked before how I come from a former uh, Soviet puppet state so obviously like when I grew up the situation was a lot different than uh, here in the UK so if we have an individual who's the same age as me chances are that we'd see uh, money, wealth, income in a in a very different way, and that's fine. It, it's just that uh, we had different upbringing, different life path, different reality. 
So no arguments uh, with anyone on that one. What uh, we do want is kind of like, like say, um, make uh, people kind of like see the whole picture. And if someone's kind of thinking negatively about their income to maybe check and see how how that kind of uh, goes together with uh, all the research. So shall we start with uh, something easy like life expectancy? Let's do that. Yeah, 100%. And I'm here to listen as well because this stuff is new to me. Do we uh, live longer if we're richer? What do you think? I think intuitively perhaps we can say yes. Like if it's a richer country, we'd expect uh, that it would have uh, better education, better health care. So better education and better health care lead to healthier lifestyle. So we could say chances are higher life expectancy. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, that, that would be logical. That would be logical. Unfortunately, the research doesn't support that. Um, So um, apparently, uh, life expectancy does go up as the country gets wealthier, but it um, kind of fades out around when a life expectancy of 70 years is reached and the gross national product, that's uh, all the goods and services um, generated by each individual. So we're looking at the per capita value. Uh, reach is about uh, 5,000 US dollars. Now, for reference, that figure in the UK for 2022 is 45,000 US dollars. So wow. Already the UK is kind of like eight times above the kind of 70-year um, threshold. Because uh, Sorry to jump in. 5,000 is really not that high, isn't it? I mean, you're really talking about... The majority wealthy Western nations, from memory, they're usually around like 30, 40K mark. So we're already miles above that. Uh, that's right. Uh, but also a life expectancy of 70 is kind of somewhat low by modern standards as well. Average life expectancy. Ah, okay. Yeah, that's true, actually. So on yeah. the other hand, you know, it's um, because like people in um, developed countries generally the average life expectancy in the UK, I think, goes around towards the late 70s or something like that. Now, the bit that isn't clear is uh, what happens after that, and um, the actual results on that are questionable. So once uh, that threshold is reached, from there on, um, it's pretty much a dice throw, uh, because all the developed countries have somewhat slightly different life expectancy, although the gross national product is kind of on on par. And one of the things I found out is um, obviously Japan is one of the countries which is very uh, famous for high life expectancy, right? Um, The only thing that sets Japan apart from other countries like the UK, France, Germany, and so on is that uh, a bit more of the wealth distribution goes towards the bottom 60% of um, income. So if we take the income distribution, the bottom 60% um, get a bit more money compared to other developed countries. Um, so, but even so, um, basically, the, the research is a bit unclear because there could be a number of uh, social and lifestyle factors that would affect the life expectancy. So uh, overall, we can say that it, um, uh, wealth does affect it, but only to a certain extent. And once we get past 70 years, it becomes a bit unclear what are the driving factors. 
now we could say healthcare, but uh, what the research found out is that um, um, on an individual level, if we take like a few rich people, um, they're not um, immune to kind of certain health conditions, right? And uh, a lot of these health conditions are um, by definition emergencies. Uh, so um, if the healthcare system is developed to a certain extent, it should be able to cope with someone who has, say, like a heart attack. So in that case, um, um, a greater investment in healthcare is unlikely to kind of increase the outcome as much. Uh, then we do have like kind of healthy habits and so on, but um, it's not clear why this would be different in different countries. Uh, so unfortunately on that one, um, I was left with more questions than answers. So, <laughs> but we can still say that there is some kind of a relationship, but at some point it uh, becomes less clear. So we'll leave the economists and psychologists to do a bit more research on that one and maybe we shall find out one day. Seems reasonable. Seems reasonable. I mean, it stands to reason because I know that obviously, you know, there's a, there, there's a point that you hit where you have enough wealth that people are not succumbing to very rudimentary infections and very basic health problems like issues with malnutrition and what's the, the quality of what they eat. And then past a certain point, I could actually see it working against the nation in that we all enjoy the good stuff a little bit too much and we tend to overindulge, you know, uh, so that it, it stands to reason. And then how we apply that to the people listening, individuals is basically the same way effectively is that providing you have enough where you can have a reasonable diet, reasonable, eat reasonably well and look after yourself. Actually, it's not correlated necessarily with a longer lifespan past a certain level. Real quick, guys, I've put together a special report for dentists entitled The Seven Costly and Potentially Disastrous Mistakes that dentists make whenever it comes to their finances. Most of the time, dentists are going through these issues and they don't even necessarily realize that they're happening until they have their eyes opened. And that is the purpose of this report. You can go ahead and receive your free report by heading on over to www.dentistuinvest.com forward slash podcast report, or alternatively, you can download it using the link in the description. This report details these seven most common issues. However, most importantly, it also shows you how to fix them. I'm really looking forward to hearing your thoughts. There is also the element of luck uh, because um, um, there are some conditions which can never be diagnosed or um, like it someone may be fine one day then two weeks later something happens so there's that element of uncertainty um so shall we uh, go into um life satisfaction 100 let's do that let's uh, shall we define it first what is life satisfaction from what i gathered it um coincides with happiness and we can define it as uh, a cognitive assessment of an individual's own life. And I suppose you can already see where the problem uh, is here. That um, inevitably, uh, depending on people's personality, some would be more positive, others may be more negative. So that would uh, kind of affect that uh, assessment of the individual's life. Uh, the good news is that as a general 
kind of assessment, most people say that they do overall kind of feel satisfied with their life, which is uh, great. Um, uh, but it's um, not quite so clear what um, makes them um, satisfied. So they um, um, split it into a few different categories in psychology. So, for example, job satisfaction, relationship satisfaction, like uh, personal life, say friends and family satisfaction. And what we'd be talking about is uh, wealth and income. So does income make uh, someone happy? And again, as we're talking about social science, we never get any straight answers. The answer is <laughs> yes, it does. And at the same time, it doesn't. Um, now, um, why it does? It does because um, as uh, people's income increases, um, then they can afford uh, more things, uh, you know, perhaps maybe engage in activities they wouldn't be able to engage before and so on. So uh, inevitably, uh, getting a bit more um, cash would make them feel happy. But um, unfortunately, the result of that is temporary because people tend to adjust to their new level of income. And then uh, they're again unhappy because now, uh, say, that person may have lived in a shed. Now they have a new house, uh, but now they want a Lamborghini as well. So there's that... Um, a notion in psychology that happiness is something that is kind of pursued but rarely achieved because it's a, a process which kind of like makes people feel miserable because they're constantly in pursuit of it and there's no ending point where you can say, okay, now I've achieved like 100% happiness. Um, now, Having said that, uh, what they found out is so they went through the income distribution of uh, developed countries, I think it was the US in particular, and um, they interviewed some middle class people and asked them how did they think that uh, people on lower and higher income respectively would, uh, whether they would feel happy or whether they would feel high life satisfaction. So the respondents generally said, uh, basically, they attributed um, higher life satisfaction to higher income consumption and uh, wealth and lower to the um, kind of lower income percentiles. Uh, but when uh, the data came in, what they found out is that um, the difference in the overall life, life satisfaction is not as uh, large as it was anticipated. Uh, so, like, for example, the, I think that the kind of top ones, like the millionaires, experienced the life satisfaction of, say, something about, like, 75%. Someone on uh, 50,000 per year was at about 70%, and uh, the ones on uh, 5,000 a year were around, like, 55 60%. So uh, you don't see that massive difference where, say, one is 10, the other one is uh, 90 and I think that part of the reason is that um, um, there, um, like happiness is generally like these domains that we mentioned, uh, you know, about relationships, uh, uh, you know, income, uh, job satisfaction and all that. They all kind of contribute a bit to the happiness. One interesting fact was uh, that uh, the people that uh, attributed uh, higher um waiting to wealth, um, um, basically their financial situation affected their well-being more. 
But those that said that wealth's not important to them, it turned out that their life satisfaction was actually affected by wealth, even though they didn't think that it does, but it unfortunately does. So they were wrong in their own kind of like self-assessment. Uh, so it's generally, as you can see, it's a very kind of difficult um, subject. Uh, so one of the things is uh, like the expectations. Uh, um, if you have, uh, like we said, if you have higher income expectations, if these are not met, that can lead to permanent reduction in life satisfaction. Um, the, the theory that you adapt um, to, say, higher or lower levels of income, um, that is true to an extent for income, but it's not true for other events, like, for example, the uh, loss, uh, premature loss of a loved one or a divorce or um, like continuous unemployment, things like that. They do um, uh, permanently decrease a person's life satisfaction. Now, thankfully, uh, this podcast is about dentists in, mainly in the UK, and we know that no one is going to end up unemployed in the current climate. So at least we don't have to worry about that. There would always be a job for uh, everyone. Maybe not their dream job, but there's going to be something. No one's going to be left unemployed. So that's one thing to be happy about, right? Totally. You yeah. know what? Oh, sorry. We finished just then. Uh, almost. I was going to say something else about... Um, um, it was about um, uh, yeah, it was about money. Uh, basically, they split it into income, wealth, and consumption. And what they found out is that uh, normally that shouldn't be the case because obviously, kind of the you can eliminate one out of the two if you put it in a formula. But because um, it's a study, and sometimes the, you can get the skewing the results, they decided to use all three at the same time. Uh, and they found out that consumption was actually the most correlated with life satisfaction. And if we think about it intuitively, it makes sense. Like, say, for example, your net worth is 10 million and uh, you can afford to buy X amount of stuff. If your um, uh, network drops to 9 million, but you can still afford X amount of stuff, then you, you won't care really, would you? Maybe a bit, but it won't be like a massive issue. You moan uh, about it, but you still manage more than manage. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you you kind of tell your friends, you know what, I just lost a million. But other than that, you you'd kind of be okay. You'll get used to it. Um, it's the same with income. Say you've got income of say ten thousand or something, and um, you can afford certain things with it. Uh, let's say there's like deflation, and all of a sudden you can afford more. Then you'd be like, oh yeah, that's that's nice. So. Um, it turned out that the consumption is what's really more correlated with uh, happiness at the correlation of 0.5, which is kind of relatively high. It's not like the kind of, I wouldn't be looking for causality, but it's still something. Uh, for wealth and income, it was at uh, 0.25, so that's a lot, uh, two times lower. So there's clearly a difference there. But I think that one, one of the important things that perhaps each one of us, including the people listening to the podcast, can it's like a take-home message is what they found out is that um, it's not so much the wealth or the income or the consumption or like anything else, job satisfaction relationships. It's more about the person's uh, sense of control over their lives. 
So the people that have a sense of control over their lives, they generally have um, kind of better life satisfaction. And again, I suppose intuitively we can think of two dentists. Say one dentist is um, goes to work and they feel they've got a great team. Um, all the team they kind of. Uh, um, do whatever it is that they're supposed to do. So that person's in control of the team. They're in control of their appointment book. Uh, they're in control of their communications with the practice manager, or if it's their own practice with suppliers and so on, they, they would kind of feel comfortable, right? Yeah. Whereas if it's um, someone who kind of goes to their work and they don't feel they've got any control over their team, they don't feel they've got any control over a reception or the equipment and um, like the treatment of the patients clearly then uh, they would kind of feel anxious and comfortable and perhaps a little bit miserable uh, so one of the things that kind of people can work on is getting that control over their life and uh, that goes quite well with investments and income and wealth so i suppose if whether it's me, you, or someone else, we all feel better if we know we're in control of our work, our pension, our investments, and we kind of have that sense that uh, we can control the situation, right? 100%. And you know what? Anecdotally, right? Once upon a time, in my head, it was really, it was quite simple that, you know, the more we were remunerated led to more life satisfaction. I really don't believe that anymore past a certain point. I find... I found that for me personally, the day that I had more freedom, the day that I worked for myself, whether all, totally independent of how much cash came in, I was just way happier because that worked for me because that meant that I had more freedom and choice, as you said. Now, everybody's going to be different. Yeah, but I would. The reality is this. Here's here's the reality. So let's say someone earns there's that bracket where let's say someone earns like 30k a year, maybe up to like 150k a year, right, whatever. So you have all this extra money, right? Now you can reinvest some of it, whatever it is that you want to do. If you're using traditional growth assets, like your ISA and your pension and things like that, realistically, it's going to be late 50s before we can even think about retirement anyway. And that that is true, whether we're earning 30k a year, or 150k a year. Now we might be able to pull it a little sooner, a little closer forwards because of the extra money that we earn, unless we start a business. But if we're using the traditional FAs method of investing, then even if that our income is really, really, really high, using those methods, it will still mean that we have to wait until the latter periods of our life to retire. Now, I'm gonna build on that by saying something else. Would you agree with me so far? Yeah, yeah, I, I would agree because I, uh, I myself sometimes have kind of a bit of grief with uh, like the normal kind of investing approach. And um, uh, my grief is mainly based on kind of like personal experience, really, uh, because um, when, when I was a kid, I, I think there were times when we lived on like a couple of doors per day or not more than five. So we were kind of in the extreme poverty category, right? So um um, then, um, like my parents, they kind of did the, not the FA method, but uh, they kind of saved money all their lives, kind of like built their kind of retirement and so on. And uh, they did retire, but, um, and they, they did retire quite well, actually, for uh, Bulgaria. 
um, managed to kind of travel abroad and all that. Um, but uh, the thing is, it took an awful long time. And um, I was sat there thinking, oh, do I really want that? And um, the answer is no. And I don't like uh, to kind of wait for 40 years and um, in the meantime struggle. So um, in my case, it was a bit easier because I... Uh, Uh, took advantage of something that in strategy we call position. Familiar with that? No. Interested no. to hear. So uh, there's a thing in, in economics, it's called position. So basically position is strategy. So like, for example, um, you know how uh, it's a bad year uh, in the stock market this year, right? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Uh, Goldman are still making money. Goldman have not lost anything. And the reason why is that they're, they're in a position to make money. So basically, they're an investment bank. So if someone wants to do an IPO, they go there, they charge them fees, then they come to you. They're like, oh, James, do you want to uh, buy the IPO? Then they offload the shares on you, make money again. Mm -hmm. And in the end, uh, whether you're making any money or the management team of the company is making any money. No one cares. The important part is that Goldman is making money and it's uh, because of their position. Uh, and there are a lot of kind of cases like that. If you look at industries where a company is in a good position. So in my case, to kind of translate it into dentistry, So I qualified in Bulgaria and, um, you know, you can still work as a dentist there. It was okay, but uh, the financial crisis hit. It was like bad times and they were doing the recruitment to the UK. Uh, so me and my wife came in with a couple of briefcases and uh, three months later, I actually made more money than I had ever imagined when I was aged 18. And it was, it was only because I changed my position. So I, I didn't do anything special. Um, the only thing that's kind of not special, but the only thing is the risk because it may not have worked out. So we may have lost the money that it uh, took to come here, which for us at the time was like a relatively kind of large amount of money, but nothing life changing. But it's kind of you wouldn't want to lose it either. Right. So mm -hmm. uh, but uh, that's like an easy example of, uh, for example, how my position changed overnight. Um, Uh, so there is no um, kind of drastic difference in my personality over these three months or anything that I have done, anything special. I just carried on practicing as a dentist, only changed the country. And there you go. My position is now totally different. So that's one thing. Always look at what's your position. Yeah, 100%. And to, yeah, to build on that, coming back to what I was saying earlier. So realistically, if we're earning however much we're earning, we're earning maybe, maybe let's call it like 50,000 all the way up to like 150, 200K, 300K, what's some, which some dentists are on. Realistically, if you only invest in the stock market using the traditional methods that FAs use or using the methods that you can educate yourself upon, like buying index funds, let's say that, for example, right? realistically it's still going to take you to about 57 60 maybe early 50s at the very soonest to retire because you have to think about basically you have to be invested long enough to appreciate your capital to a point where you can live off it then you have to wait to a point where you retire as well this is the double whammy you have to wait to a certain point in terms of your age so that your longevity won't exceed how much your assets will be able, how long your assets will last, 
how long you'll be able to live off them. So it's actually a double whammy. So even if you had enough, even if you had like 2 million, but you were 30, 2 million might, might be enough for a 60-year-old to retire on, but would it be enough for a 30-year-old to retire on? We have to look at it in different ways, but it depends on how much money we're siphoning out of our investment accounts, right? Does that make sense, Fez? Yeah, it does. Yeah. And also another thing to build upon what you're saying is that um, like, you know, there's a lot of talk about like average market return. The average market returns like 5% or whatever. It doesn't matter. What matters is that if we take an individual case, let's say we've got uh, person X. Uh, person X will be retiring at a particular period in time, uh, time Y, and wants to achieve an outcome Z. So uh, basically that person would be looking to retire at time Y plus minus like a year or two. So we're talking that we need to deliver to that person some kind of an outcome which would happen exactly at that time and not a moment too soon, not a moment too late. And that's one of the things that you can't really... Um, you can't really kind of do that with um, index investing because uh, you may catch a bad period. Uh, like, for example, if we look at the Great Depression in the um, 1920s, uh, when the Dow Jones crashed, uh, it took it 15 years to get back to the pre-crash level. So if anyone was retiring within that 15-year period, uh, they would have made a loss on their investment. So these things are very sensitive to um, the timing of the event. Now, if, for example, I had like 2 million and uh, I didn't particularly care when I'm going to get the proceeds from them, I can, of course, throw it in some kind of an investment account and leave them there. If, they, if they've not made anything by the time I kind of retire or something, I'll just leave it to the kids and then they'll wait another 30 years and they'll probably come out on top, right? So then that would work perfectly fine. Uh, but if I need that money in that particular time, why? Then um, it, it may not work like that. So that's why um, if you look at, say, for example, university endowment funds like uh, Harvard, um, these, uh, there's, it's on Google, you can look it up. Uh, very little of their portfolio is invested in stock. Uh, they've got a lot of other investments in kind of like uh, real estate, private equity, and so on. And um, also... Um, Sometimes uh, putting a large amount of money into stock to wait for a 5% return is not the most uh, efficient use of capital either, right? Um, because then um, why don't you take some of that money, invest in something else, um, then look for higher return, 20, 30, 40% or something. It would be active. It, it would involve work. Uh, like, for example, venture capital and private equity are such um, kind of like uh, industries where in private equity, they are normally aimed for 20 to 40% return in venture capital, 40 to 70. So it's a lot higher than what you'd expect from the stock market. It's more risky. Uh, so, of course, then, for example, I'd be looking at investing a lower, lower amount of money. And also, I wouldn't be doing it through a fund. I would look into maybe... Kind of starting something myself uh, because if it's an um, exchange traded fund, it sends us back to what you were saying about the financial advisor route. Yeah, well, pretty much. Yeah, absolutely. And where I where I was going with that, and yeah, just to again, just to add even more into the mix, where I'm going with that is here's the thing, right? You know, it comes back to what we were talking about earlier, which is satisfaction and happiness, right? If you're doing something that Let's say you really 
don't enjoy dentistry that much, right? If you solely and exclusively use those methods to appreciate your capital and get to a point where you have enough to retire on, right? The traditional index fund methods, right? Yeah. Then we're going to spend 30, 40 years of our life by default, no matter how almost, almost independent of how much we earn, unless we earn some totally wild sum of money, you know what I mean? Yeah. But realistically for most dentists, even if we do earn, say we earn like five figures or six figures, right? It's still going to take that period of time, right? So my point is that past a certain point, money doesn't actually serve us in terms of our happiness from that perspective, especially if we're doing something that we don't really like anyway. So my point is, why not pull happiness forwards to the present rather than waiting for it to appear in the future, i.e. inverted commas retirement, which is when we're supposed to down tools and be happy inverted commas, right? But if you're going to have to wait that amount of time anyway, because we're solely investing via an FA, then is money, more money is actually is actually the opposite, does not actually permit us to be happy because of the amount of time we have to spend acquiring it. And it would be easier to earn less money, still have the same path in life broadly, but have more time off and channeled into things that actually do give us happiness. Uh, I um, I absolutely agree with that yeah, on um, kind of many different uh, levels. Uh, so uh, one of them what uh, what we were talking about uh, earlier, you know about happiness. And uh, remember when I mentioned about control over one's life? Now uh, too much control uh, has negative um, effects. In the same way, um, like for example, if we're too obsessed with money, then um, we kind of end up. Uh, missing other things uh, like uh, if we for example uh, reframe the issue of wealth and if we say that um, a wealthy person is the person who has left uh, the most people with fond memories of uh, their mm. interactions with that person what is wealth person, basically the person who's touched the most lives and uh, the person who's always uh, leaves people in a better state than they found them in. So if that's a wealthy person, then the Fortune 500 list would have to be restructured uh, <laughs> like a lot, right? Uh, because if, uh, for example, if uh, let's say if, uh, one of us was a billionaire, let's say you're a billionaire, you make like a billion a year, but you work uh, 16 hours per day, six days per week. That, that's all, all clearly kind of overdoing it. Um, if um, the person has uh, such personality that, that actually makes them happy, then that's fantastic. Uh, like we said, there are different realities, so we're not arguing with anyone. Everyone should be <clears throat> living their life in, in a way that satisfies them, but... Um, what we don't want is for people to get into some kind of like a morbid relationship with money in the same way that we can get into a morbid relationship with, uh, say, our bodies or uh, like, for example, gambling would be one example of a morbid relationship with money. Uh, so we don't really kind of uh, want that. Um, and that, that you're absolutely right that we shouldn't get that kind of tunnel vision where we're focused on just one thing and one thing only and uh, miss everything else that's going on around us. Um, and um, yeah, I, I agree, definitely. Uh, now, uh, I, I think that someone may say that me and you were being a bit kind of irresponsible now. 
but I would just like to point out about uh, what you said that um, in finance, uh, while uh, there's a lot of talk about investing and so on, there's another thing which says that uh, money now is worth more than money later. Uh, there are different reasons why that may be. Now, um, one of the reasons is, uh, like, for example, would you take uh, one million now or would you take uh, two million in five years? Uh, let's say it's uh, 20% per year, non-compounded, one million turns into two million. So would you take the million now or would you take two million in two years? I'll start by saying I'll take the one million now. And the yeah. reason is that uh, I don't know what's going to happen in two years' time. Uh, are there going to be money? Um, you know, what, what's the situation going to be like? Uh, is two million going to be actual money or a loaf of bread? Uh, so we, we don't know that. So <laughs> I take the money now and um, I can invest it. I can uh, gear it, like say, buy something, leverage, say, property or something, or I can just spend it. And um, I think that, um, you know, when they say, oh, you can invest from um, 50 pounds per month or something, that, that's a bit useless, really, because in 30 years, you have like 10 grand or something like that. It won't change your life at all. Um, so um, I've um, not always been kind of like investing, for example, um, like I said, when I was a kid, uh, my dream was to make 1,000 pounds per month and you know it sounds like a fortune to me that's not the case anymore but uh, uh, the first time I made 1,000 pounds in my career do you know what I did I didn't invest a penny of it I, I bought a brand new computer and I went partying with my friends and uh, <laughs> you know uh, the memories of that are worth now to me way more than a thousand pounds so if I could go back in time I would do exactly the same thing yeah, absolutely. No, it's it's about happiness and happiness is a choice. And the, the, the saddest thing I see is the fact that most, probably about 70% of people, again, not figures that are researched, just totally anecdotal, 70% of people go through life, go through life delaying happiness, doing something they don't like and delaying happiness until they're retired, right? Because that's supposedly the time that they're going to be free. And then where their time becomes their own and they can do whatever they want. And my point is for most people, that's a long way off, right? And if we're sacrificing so much in the short term, actually, who's to say that we'll even get to that point where we're happy because it's such at such a distant point in future. And the, the choice, the power to be happy is actually something we can do in the moment. For most people, what that requires is taking a little bit of a step outside their comfort zone because it'll be a little different to what they do already. And that's the only thing holding us back. And you know what? Who's to say that when we do reach retirement that we will be happy anyway? Because have you noticed that when most people reach retirement, they don't even down tools anyway. They continue to do a little bit of work. It's not like they just stop, right? Yeah. So we're spending our whole life waiting to this point where we can quit and then we don't even quit, right? Delaying happiness. Uh, yeah, that kind of ties in with uh, what they say in psychology, that if it's not um, some kind of a very traumatic event, um, like say an abusive relationship, for example, would be very traumatic to any individual. Uh, if it's um, something money related, then you're you're absolutely right. Like people would kind of get adjusted to it. So they'd be saving, oh, I'm going to do this, that and the other when I retire. And, uh, you know, the retirement comes and they found out that, that their life's not, kind of that different so they get adapted to it so 
even if someone um, gets kind of like extremely happy the day they retire, um, that happiness would be in most cases transient. So, yeah. so say over like a year or a few months or two years, uh, they'll just get used to the fact that they don't go to work anymore and can do whatever they want. And that won't be sufficient enough anymore. So then there would have to be something else uh, to, to come around. Um, and uh, But uh, I, I think that uh, although you, you're right, uh, I've noticed that lately uh, people generally don't work full time anymore. Yeah, um, which is good. Which is, it's very good. good yeah, uh, I mean, I, I myself, I work uh, dentistry like three and a half days, um, and uh, I often take like a day or two off, uh, fly out somewhere. I'm trying to do it every kind of like six weeks or something. I love like that. I love that. One hundred percent. So, for example, if you take my working hours and if you average them over fifty-two weeks, let's say, take out holidays out of the question i'd probably average about 20 20 hours per week um for if, if i don't take any holiday at all that's what i'd be working the whole year so if you then kind of extrapolate that it's it's not that that much so um i think that sometimes it's um also like the balance between um work and uh, leisure um Years ago, I was doing my induction with my dentist, like 12 years ago, I think it was. And uh, one of their clinical directors made an excellent point. He said that when he first qualified, he wanted to beat all the other dentists at the practice by the amount of turnover he does. Right, okay. He decided not to take any holidays, right? So all the other dentists, they were older and respectively wiser, I would imagine. And uh, they said, no, no, do you know what? Just take your holiday, don't worry about it. He was like, no, no, you know what, I'll, I'll kind of beat their turnover. So they all took like six weeks holiday. And uh, when they came to kind of count the results out of that, it turned out that he made less than that. So mm. the next year, he took all his six weeks holiday and he made more money than the previous year. So there's an element of where you get tired, you get a bit burned out, and you, you really need your kind of brain to relax a bit and drift away from uh, work. Um, and I think it's an excellent point he he makes when he does these inductions because it's very important, especially for young people, to get a good uh, work-life balance. Love that. And you know what? We're going to end this podcast on that thought. Vez, you've been a super thumbs up. You've been super generous with your time today, my friend. Thank you so, so much. We're going to get you back on the podcast a little bit sooner this time. We're not going to wait another 100 episodes before you share your thoughts and wisdom again. And I very much look forward to it. Vez, hope you have a smashing day. We'll see each other soon. Uh, me too. Nice to see you again, James. Bye. If you enjoyed this podcast, please hit follow or subscribe so you can stay up to date with information on new podcasts which are released weekly. Please also feel free to leave a positive review so others can learn about this podcast and benefit from it. I would also encourage any fans of the podcast to sign up to the free Facebook community from which the podcast originated. Please search Dentists Who Invest on Facebook and hit join to become part of a community of thousands of other dentists interested in improving their finances, well-being and investing knowledge. Looking forward to seeing you on there.